Section 25 of Bede's Ecclesiastical History of England. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Felicity Campbell. The Ecclesiastical History of England by the Venerable Bede. Translated by A. M. Seller. Book 5, Chapters 8 through 12. Chapter 8 how when archbishop theodore died bertwald succeeded him as archbishop and among many others whom he ordained he made the learned tobias bishop of the church of rochester six hundred and ninety a d the year after that in which caedwalla died at rome that is six ninety after the incarnation of our lord archbishop theodore of blessed memory departed this life being old and full of days for he was eighty-eight years of age which number of years he had been wont long before to foretell to his friends that he should live the same having been revealed to him in a dream he held the bishopric twenty-two years and was buried in st peter's church where all the bodies of the bishops of canterbury are buried of whom as well as of his fellows of the same degree it may rightly and truly be said that their bodies are buried in peace and their names shall live to all generations for to say all in few words the english churches gained more spiritual increase while he was archbishop than ever before his character life age and death are plainly and manifestly described to all that resort thither by the epitaph on his tomb in thirty-four heroic verses the first whereof are these here in the tomb rests the body of the holy prelate called now in the greek tongue theodore chief pontiff blessed high priest pure doctrine he set forth to his disciples the last are as follows for september had reached its nineteenth day when his spirit went forth from the prison bars of the flesh mounting in bliss to the gracious fellowship of the new life he was united to the angelic citizens in the heights of heaven bertwald succeeded theodore in the archbishopric being abbot of the monastery called raculif which stands at the northern mouth of the river genlade he was a man learned in the scriptures and perfectly instructed in ecclesiastical and monastic teaching yet in no wise to be compared to his predecessor he was chosen bishop in the year of our lord six hundred and ninety two on the first day of july when wictred and suibahard were kings in kent but he was ordained the next year on sunday the twenty ninth of june by godwin metropolitan bishop of gaul and was enthroned on sunday the thirty-first of august among the many bishops whom he ordained was tobias a man instructed in the latin greek and saxon tongues and otherwise of manifold learning whom he consecrated in the stead of jedmund bishop of the church of rochester who had died chapter nine how the holy man egbert would have gone into germany to preach but could not and how wicksbert went but because he availed nothing returned into ireland whence he came circa six hundred and eighty eight a d at that time the venerable servant of christ and priest egbert 
who is to be named with all honour, and who, as was said before, lived as a stranger and pilgrim in Ireland, to obtain hereafter a country in heaven, purposed in his mind to profit many, taking upon him the work of an apostle, and by preaching the gospel, to bring the word of God to some of those nations that had not yet heard it, many of which tribes he knew to be in Germany, from whom the Angles, or Saxons, who now inhabit Britain, are known to have derived their race and origin, for which reason they are still corruptly called Germans by the neighbouring nation of the Britons. Such are the Frisians, the Regini, the Danes, the Huns, the Old Saxons, and the Baroctuari. There are also in the same parts many other peoples still enslaved to pagan rites, to whom the aforesaid soldier of Christ determined to go, sailing round Britain, if haply he could deliver any of them from Satan and bring them to Christ. Or if this might not be, he was minded to go to Rome, to see and adore the thresholds of the holy apostles and martyrs of Christ. But a revelation from heaven and the working of God prevented him from achieving either of these enterprises, for when he had made choice of most courageous companions fit to preach the word, inasmuch as they were renowned for their good deeds and their learning, and when all things necessary were provided for the voyage, there came to him on a certain day early in the morning one of the brethren, who had been a disciple of the priest Boassel, beloved of God, and had ministered to him in Britain, when the said Boisson was provost of the monastery of Maros under the abbot Iata, as has been said above. This brother told him a vision which he had seen that night. When after matins, said he, I had laid me down in my bed and was fallen into a light slumber, Boisson, that was sometime my master, and brought me up in all love, appeared to me and asked whether I knew him. I said, Yes, you are Boisson. He answered, I am come to bring Edbert, a message from our Lord and Saviour, which must nevertheless be delivered to him by you. Tell him, therefore, that he cannot perform the journey he has undertaken, for it is the will of God that he should rather go to teach the monasteries of Columba. Now Columba was the first teacher of the Christian faith to the Picts beyond the mountains northward, and the first founder of the monastery in the island of Hai, which was for a long time much honoured by many tribes of the Scots and Picts. The said Columba is now by some called Columseal, the name being compounded from Columba and Sella. Egbert, having heard the words of the vision, charged the brother that had told it him not to tell it to any other, lest haply it should be a lying vision. But when he considered the matter secretly with himself, he apprehended that it was true, yet would not desist from preparing for his voyage which he purposed to make to teach those nations. A few days after, the aforesaid brother came again to him, saying that Voissel had that night again appeared to him in a vision after matins, and said, Why did you tell Egbert so negligently, and after so lukewarm a manner that which I enjoined upon you to say? Yet go now and tell him that whether he will or no, he must go to Columba's monasteries, because their ploughs are not driven straight, and he must bring them back into the right way. Hearing this, 
Egbert again charged the brother not to reveal the same to any man. Though now assured of the vision, he nevertheless attempted to set forth upon his intended voyage with the brethren. When they had put aboard all that was requisite for so long a voyage, and had waited some days for fair winds, there arose one night so violent a storm that part of what was on board was lost, and the ship itself was left lying on its side in the sea. Nevertheless, all that belonged to Egbert and his companions was saved. Then he, saying in the words of the prophet, For my sake this great tempest is upon you, withdrew himself from that undertaking and was content to remain at home. But one of his companions, called Wichtbert, notable for his contempt of the world and for his learning and knowledge, for he had lived many years as a stranger and pilgrim in Ireland, leading a hermit's life in great perfection, took ship and, arriving in Frisland, preached the word of salvation for the space of two whole years to that nation and to its king Rathbed, but reaped no fruit of all his great labour among his barbarous hearers. Returning then to the chosen place of his pilgrimage, he gave himself up to the Lord in his wanted life of silence, and since he could not be profitable to strangers by teaching them the faith, he took care to be the more profitable to his own people by the example of his virtue. Chapter 10. How Wilbroad, preaching in Frisland, converted many to Christ, and how his two companions, the Hewilds, suffered martyrdom. 690 A.D. When the man of God, Egbert, perceived that neither he himself was permitted to go and preach to the nations, being withheld for the sake of some other advantage to the Holy Church, whereof he had been forewarned by a revelation, nor that Wichtbert, when he went into those parts, had availed to do anything, he nevertheless still attempted to send holy and industrious men to the work of the word, among whom the most notable was Wilbroad, a man eminent for his merit and rank as priest. They arrived there, twelve in number, and, turning aside to Pippin, Duke of the Franks, were gladly received by him, and, as he had lately subdued the nearer part of Frisland and expelled King Rathbed, he sent them thither to preach, supporting them at the same time with his sovereign authority, that none might molest them in their preaching, and bestowing many favours on those who consented to receive the faith. Thus it came to pass, that with the help of the divine grace, in a short time they converted many from idolatry to the faith of Christ. Following their example, two other priests of the English nation, who had long lived as strangers in Ireland for the sake of the eternal country, went into the province of the old Saxons, if haply they could there win any to Christ by their preaching. They were alike in name as in devotion, Hewald being the name of both, with this distinction that, on account of the different colour of their hair, the one was called Black Hewald and the other White Hewald. They were both full of religious piety, but Black Hewald was the more learned of the two in Scripture. When they came into the province, these men took up their lodging in the guest-house of a certain township reeve, and asked of him that he would conduct them to the elderman who was over him, 
or that they had a message concerning matters of importance to communicate to him. For those old Saxons have no king, but many eldermen set over their nation, and, when any war is on the point of breaking out, they cast lots indifferently, and on whomsoever the lot falls, him they all follow and obey during the time of war. But as soon as the war is ended, all those eldermen are again equal in power. So the reeve received and entertained them in his house some days, promising to send them to the elderman who was over him, as they desired. But when the barbarians perceived that they were of another religion, for they continually gave themselves to singing of psalms and prayer, and daily offered up to God the sacrifice of the saving victim, having with them sacred vessels and a consecrated table for an altar, they began to grow suspicious of them, lest if they should come into the presence of their elderman and converse with him, they should turn his heart from their gods and convert him to the new religion of the Christian faith, and thus by degrees all their province should be forced to change its old worship for a new. Wherefore on a sudden they laid hold of them and put them to death, and white yield they slew outright with the sword, but they put black yield to lingering torture, and tore him limb from limb in horrible fashion, and they threw their bodies into the Rhine. The elderman whom they had desired to see, hearing of it, was very angry that strangers who desired to come to him had not been suffered to come, and therefore he sent and put to death all those villages and burned their village. The aforesaid priests and servants of Christ suffered on the 3rd of October. Miracles from heaven were not lacking at their martyrdom. For their dead bodies, having been cast into the river by the pagans, as has been said, were carried against the stream for the space of almost forty miles to the place where their companions were. Moreover, a long ray of light reaching up to heaven shone every night above them, wheresoever they chanced to be, and that too in the sight of the very pagans that had slain them. Moreover, one of them appeared in a vision by night to one of his companions whose name was Tilmon, a man of renown and of noble birth in this world, who, having been a thane, had become a monk, telling him that he might find their bodies in that place where he should see rays of light reaching from heaven to the earth. And so it befell, and their bodies being found were buried with the honour due to martyrs. And the day of their passion, or of the finding of their bodies, is celebrated in those parts with fitting veneration. Finally, Pippin, the most glorious Duke of the Franks, learning these things, caused the bodies to be brought to him, and buried them with much honour in the church of the city of Cologne on the Rhine. And it is said that a spring burst forth in the place where they were killed, which to this day affords a plentiful stream in that same place. Chapter 11 How the Venerable Suetbert in Britain and Wilbroad at Rome were ordained bishops for Frisland, 692 A.D. At their first coming into Frisland, as soon as Wilbroad found that he had leave given him by the prince to preach there, he made haste to go to Rome, where Pope Sergius then presided over the apostolic see, 
that he might undertake the desired work of preaching the gospel to the nations with his license and blessing, and hoping to receive of him some relics of the blessed apostles and martyrs of Christ, to the end that when he destroyed the idols and erected churches in the nation to which he preached, he might have the relics of saints at hand to put into them, and having deposited them there, might accordingly dedicate each of those places to the honour of the saint whose relics they were. He desired also there to learn or to receive many other things needful for so great a work. Having obtained his desire in all these matters, he returned to preach. At which time the brothers who were in Frisland, attending on the ministry of the word, chose out of their own number a man of sober life and meek of heart, called Seward. he being sent into britain was consecrated at their request by the most reverend bishop wilfred who having been driven out of his country chanced then to be living in banishment among the mercians for kent had no bishop at that time theodore being dead and bertwald his successor who had gone beyond the sea to be ordained having not yet returned to his episcopal see the said Seward being made bishop, returned from Britain, and not long after departed to the Baroctuari, and by his preaching brought many of them into the way of truth. But the Baroctuari, being not long after subdued by the old Saxons, those who had received the word were dispersed abroad, and the bishop himself with certain others went to Pippin, who at the request of his wife, Blithrida, gave him a place of abode in a certain island on the Rhine, called in their tongue in the Torre. There he built a monastery, which his successors still possess, and for a time dwelt in it, leading a most continent life, and there ended his days. When they who had gone thither had spent some years teaching in Frisland, Pippin, with the consent of them all, sent the venerable Wilbrod to Rome, where Sergius was still Pope, desiring that he might be consecrated archbishop over the nation of the Frisians, which was accordingly done, as he had made request, in the year of our Lord 696. He was consecrated in the church of the holy martyr Cecilia on her festival, and the said pope gave him the name of Clement, and forthwith sent him back to his bishopric, to wit fourteen days after his arrival in the city. Pippin gave him a place for his episcopal see in his famous fort, which in the ancient language of those people is called Wilterberg, that is, the town of the Wilts, but in the Gallic tongue, Trajectum. The most reverend prelate, having built a church there, and preaching the word of faith far and near, drew many from their errors, and built many churches and not a few monasteries. For not long after he himself constituted other bishops in those parts from the number of the brethren that either came with him or after him to preach there, of whom some are now fallen asleep in the Lord, but will brought himself, surnamed Clement, is still living, venerable for his great age, having been thirty-six years a bishop, and now, after manifold conflicts of the heavenly warfare, he longs with all his heart for the recompense of the reward in heaven. Chapter 12 How one in the province of the Northumbrians rose from the dead and related many things which he had seen, some to be greatly dreaded and some to be desired. 
circa 696 A.D. At this time a memorable miracle, and like to those of former days, was wrought in Britain, for, to the end that the living might be roused from the death of the soul, a certain man, who had been some time dead, rose again to the life of the body, and related many memorable things that he had seen, some of which I had thought fit here briefly to describe. There was a certain householder in that district of the Northumbrians, which is called Incunenigam, who led a godly life with all his house. This man fell sick, and his sickness daily increasing, he was brought to extremity and died in the beginning of the night. But at dawn he came to life again, and suddenly sat up, whereat all those that sat about the body weeping fled away in great terror. Only his wife, who loved him better, though trembling and greatly afraid, remained with him. And he, comforting her, said, Fear not, for I am now in very deed risen from dead whereof I was holden, and permitted again to live among men. Nevertheless, hereafter I must not live as I was wont, but after a very different manner. Then rising immediately, he went to the oratory of the little town, and continuing in prayer till day, forthwith divided all his substance into three parts, one whereof he gave to his wife, another to his children, and the third which he kept himself, he straightway distributed among the poor. Not long after, being set free from the cares of this world, he came to the monastery of Malros, which is almost enclosed by the winding of the river Tweed, and having received the tonsure, went apart into a place of abode which the abbot had provided, and there he continued till the day of his death, in so great contrition of mind and mortifying of the body, that even if his tongue had been silent, his life would have declared that he had seen many things either to be dreaded or coveted, which were hidden from other men. Thus he related what he had seen. He that led me had a countenance full of light and shining raiment, and we went in silence, as it seemed to me, towards the rising of the summer sun. And as we walked we came to a broad and deep valley of infinite length. It lay on our left, and one side of it was exceeding terrible with raging flames, the other no less intolerable, for violent hail and cold snows drifting and sweeping through all the place. Both sides were full of the souls of men, which seemed to be tossed from one side to the other, as it were by a violent storm, for when they could no longer endure the fervent heat, the hapless souls leaped into the midst of the deadly cold, and finding no rest there, they leaped back again to be burnt in the midst of the unquenchable flames. Now, whereas an innumerable multitude of misshapen spirits were thus tormented far and near with this interchange of misery, as far as I could see, without any interval of rest, I began to think that peradventure this might be hell, of whose intolerable torments I had often heard men talk. My guide who went before me answered to my thoughts, saying, Think not so, for this is not the hell you believe it to be. When he had led me farther by degrees, sore dismayed by that dread sight, on a sudden I saw the place before us begin to grow dark and filled with shadows. When we entered into them, 
the shadows by degrees grew so thick that I could see nothing else, save only the darkness and the shape and garment of him that led me. As we went on, through the shades in the low night, lo, on a sudden, there appeared before us masses of foul flame constantly rising as it were out of a great pit and falling back again into the same. When I had been led thither, my guide suddenly vanished and left me alone in the midst of darkness and these fearful sights. As those same masses of fire without intermission at one time flew up and at another fell back into the bottom of the abyss, I perceived that the summits of all the flames as they ascended were full of the spirits of men which, like sparks flying upwards with the smoke, were sometimes thrown on high and again, when the vapours of the fire fell, dropped down into the depths below. Moreover, a stench, foul beyond compare, burst forth with the vapours and filled all those dark places. Having stood there a long time in much dread, not knowing what to do, which way to turn, or what end awaited me, on a sudden I heard behind me the sound of a mighty and miserable lamentation, and at the same time noisy laughter, as of a rude multitude insulting captured enemies. When that noise, growing plainer, came up to me, I beheld a crowd of evil spirits dragging five souls of men wailing and shrieking into the midst of the darkness, whilst they themselves exulted and laughed. Among those human souls, as I could discern, there was one shorn like a clerk, one a layman, and one a woman. The evil spirits that dragged them went down into the midst of the burning pit, and it came to pass that as they went down deeper, I could no longer distinguish between the lamentation of the men and the laughing of the devils, yet I still had a confused sound in my ears. In the meantime, some of the dark spirits ascended from that flaming abyss, and running forward beset me on all sides, and with their flaming eyes and the noisome fire which they breathed forth from their mouths and nostrils, tried to choke me, and threatened to lay hold on me with fiery tongs which they had in their hands, yet they durst in no wise touch me, though they essayed to terrify me. Being thus on all sides encompassed with enemies and shades of darkness, and casting my eyes hither and thither if haply anywhere help might be found whereby I might be saved, there appeared behind me, on the way by which I had come, as it were, the brightness of a star shining amidst the darkness, which, waxing greater by degrees, came rapidly towards me, and when it drew near, all those evil spirits that sought to carry me away with their tongs dispersed and fled. Now he whose approach put them to flight was the same that led me before, who then turning towards the right began to lead me as it were towards the rising of the winter sun, and having soon brought me out of the darkness, led me forth into an atmosphere of clear light. While he thus led me in open light, I saw a vast wall before us, the length on either side and the height whereof seemed to be altogether boundless. I began to wonder why we went up to the wall, seeing no door in it, nor window, nor any way of ascent. But when we came to the wall, we were presently, I know not by what means, on the top of it, and lo, 
there was a wide and pleasant plain full of such fragrance of blooming flowers that the marvellous sweetness of the scents immediately dispelled the foul stench of the dark furnace which had filled my nostrils so great was the light shed over all this place that it seemed to exceed the brightness of the day or the rays of the noontide sun in this field were innumerable companies of men clothed in white and many seats of rejoicing multitudes as he led me through the midst of bands of happy inhabitants i began to think that this perchance might be the kingdom of heaven of which i had often heard tell he answered to my thoughts saying nay this is not the kingdom of heaven as you think when we had also passed those mansions of blessed spirits and gone farther on i saw before me a much more beautiful light than before and therein heard sweet sounds of singing and so wonderful a fragrance was shed abroad from the place that the other which i had perceived before and thought so great then seemed to me but a small thing even as that wondrous brightness of the flowery field compared with this which i now beheld appeared mean and feeble when i began to hope that we should enter that delightful place my guide on a sudden stood still and straightway turning led me back by the way we came in our return when we came to those joyous mansions of the white-robed spirits he said to me do you know what all these things are which you have seen i answered no and then he said that valley which you beheld terrible with flaming fire and freezing cold is the place in which the souls of those are tried and punished who delaying to confess and amend their crimes at length have recourse to repentance at the point of death and so go forth from the body but nevertheless because they even at their death confessed and repented they shall all be received into the kingdom of heaven at the day of judgment but many are succoured before the day of judgment by the prayers of the living and their alms and fasting and more especially by the celebration of masses moreover that foul flaming pit which you saw is the mouth of hell into which whosoever falls shall never be delivered to all eternity this flowery place in which you see this fair and youthful company all bright and joyous is that into which the souls of those are received who indeed when they leave the body have done good works but who are not so perfect as do deserve to be immediately admitted into the kingdom of heaven yet they shall all at the day of judgment behold christ and enter into the joys of his kingdom for such as are perfect in every word and deed and thought as soon as they quit the body forthwith enter into the kingdom of heaven in the neighbourhood whereof that place is where you heard the sound of sweet singing amidst the savour of a sweet fragrance and brightness of light as for you who must now return to the body and again live among men if you will seek diligently to examine your actions and preserve your manner of living and your words in righteousness and simplicity you shall after death have a place of abode among these joyful troops of blessed souls which you behold for when i left you for a while it was for this purpose that i might learn what should become of you 
when he had said this to me i much abhorred returning to the body being delighted with the sweetness and beauty of the place which i beheld and with the company of those i saw in it nevertheless i durst not ask my guide anything but there upon on a sudden i found myself i know not how alive among men now these and other things which this man of god had seen he would not relate to slothful men and such as lived negligently but only to those who being terrified with the dread of torments or ravished with the hope of everlasting joys would draw from his words the means to advance in piety in the neighbourhood of his cell lived one heimgils a monk and eminent in the priesthood whose good works were worthy of his office he is still living and leading a solitary life in ireland supporting his declining age with coarse bread and cold water he often went to that man and by repeated questioning heard of him what manner of things he had seen when out of the body by whose account those few particulars which we have briefly set down came also to our knowledge and he related his visions to king aldfred a man most learned in all respects and was by him so willingly and attentively heard that at his request he was admitted into the monastery above mentioned and received the crown of the monastic tonsure and the said king whensoever he came into those parts very often went to hear him at that time the abbot and priest ethelwald a man of godly and sober life presided over that monastery he now occupies the episcopal see of the church of lindisfarne leading a life worthy of his degree he had a place of abode assigned him apart in that monastery where he might give himself more freely to the service of his creator in continual prayer and inasmuch as that place was on the banks of the river he was wont often to go into the same for the great desire he had to do penance in his body and oftentimes to plunge in it and to continue saying psalms or prayers in the same as long as he could endure it standing still while the waves flowed over him sometimes up to the middle and sometimes even to the neck in water and when he went ashore he never took off his cold wet garments till they grew warm and dry on his body and when in the winter the cracking pieces of ice were floating about him which he had himself sometimes broken to make room to stand or plunge in the river and those who beheld it would say we marvel brother drythelm for so he was called that you are able to endure such severe cold he answered simply for he was a simple and sober-spirited man i have seen greater cold and when they said we marvel that you choose to observe so hard a rule of continence he replied i have seen harder things and so until the day of his calling hence in his unwearied desire of heavenly bliss he subdued his aged body with daily fasting and forwarded the salvation of many by his words and life end of section twenty five recording by felicity campbell book one for me dot com Whanganui, new zealand